Hello. It is one minute to midnight, and it is time for another Crash, episode 246, recorded on Friday the 15th of March. We have been absent for a while, but we are now back. I am now back. And I have a special treat for you, because the news hasn't been great outside in the real world. So what I'm going to do over the next three days is do an episode each day. So that's Friday, Saturday and Sunday. (laughs) If you needed that explaining. Sorry about that. The first two episodes are going to be our continuing Doctor Who marathon. Thought I wasn't going to say marathon again. Bad Roy. And the Sunday one will just be our regular show about everything and nothing. Let's do this. And, oh, by the way, I know this is going to annoy the people who have read it. I have a beverage to sip while I'm doing the podcast. And today that's a low-alcohol pear cider, which shall remain unnamed as... I'm not being paid to talk about it, but it tastes quite nice. Mmm. Ah, don't mind if I do. In today's episode, we are talking about the Doctor Who story, The Claws of Axos from 1971. This stars John Pertwee as the Third Doctor, Katie Manning as Joe Grant, the Companion, Nicholas Courtney as Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart, Tim Piggott-Smith, who hasn't been on Doctor Who before, as Captain Harker. At least I don't think he's been on Doctor Who before. I've done so many now, maybe he has. Yes, Captain Harker, the stiff military bloke. And who else? Well, blah, 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 there's no need to give too much away. A little on the production. The director was Michael Ferguson. The writers, Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Terence Dix was the script editor and Barry Letts the producer. This is from... Series 8, and there are four 25-minute episodes. It was broadcast after The Mind of Evil that we talked about last time from the 13th of March to the 3rd of April, 1971. And it is the third story of 1971. Let's have a quick listen to a little bit, and then I'll tell you what happened. Yes, one million miles, mass variable. Well, if that's its course, we've discovered a comet. Run another course check. It's altered its course. Can't have. Oh, yes, it can, mate. You could say goodbye to your comet, because whatever that thing is, it's on collision course and heading straight for Earth. Doesn't that just remind you of Oumuamua? Hmm... Okay, here's a brief rundown of the plot. 
an organic spaceship lands. Yes, the spacecraft is tubular, slightly actually resembling a mini version of the tubular thing that's featured in a Star Trek movie and, uh, of course, in the Star Trek series. Cast your mind back to Star Trek The Motion Picture and also Star Trek The Original Series, the episode entitled The Doomsday Machine, and you'll see a strong similarity in at least the shape of the alien spacecraft featured in this story. Although much smaller, of course. Much, much smaller. I don't think the BBC budget could stretch to more than that. But we'll leave talk about what I thought till later. Let's get on with the plot. The spacecraft carries alien axons who offer an axonite crystal that can make objects grow. And it is demonstrated on a frog. They make an ordinary frog quite large and quite humanely they shrink it back to normal size. Though, where they got the frog from, I'm not quite sure. And this is given in exchange for refueling their spacecraft, which I believe was called the Axos. (laughs) Consistent, at least. The UK government can't wait to get their hands on this stuff, and immediately shuts unit out. All hell breaks loose when they try and fiddle with a thing. The Axonite crystal is a Trojan horse. Once activated, it will absorb all the Earth's energy. Though this doesn't actually have time to happen. Because the Master, yes, him again, tries to sabotage the crystal. The Master is foiled and captured and agrees to help if he is to be freed. Faced with nuclear annihilation, the Brigadier reluctantly agrees. The Master says, because the crystal is a piece, albeit a remote piece, of the organic spacecraft, if they ramp up the explosion that he was planning even further, the force can be channeled back to the mothership, which will be blown up. It doesn't quite work. The Doctor tricks the Master into helping him fix the Doctor's TARDIS, and in return, they will scarper. That's the deal the Doctor offers the Master, leaving the Earth to its fate, and somehow the Master is stupid enough to actually believe that. In fact, the Doctor uses his TARDIS to trap Axos in a time loop. That's a brief rundown of what happens. There is a bit towards the end when we find out that though the Doctor's TARDIS is repaired, it is still under the control of the Time Lords. 
here have a listen to a clip from near the end of the story and then we'll talk about what I thought this time loop thing how did you get out of it I simply boosted the circuits and broke free you came back of your own accord well I doctor no no I'm afraid not no, obviously, the Time Lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to Earth. It seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo. Okay, we're back, and... Mm. Mm. Oh, cider. Ah, okay. Sorry, Reddit people. Let's talk about what I thought. I thought this episode was quite political. This is the first time I've seen a proper conflict between UNIT and the British government. UNIT, the United Nations Intelligence Task Force is suddenly not friends with the British government, despite Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart's moustachey Britishness. And, yeah, you suddenly remember that he works for the United Nations, to which he has been seconded. There's even a jibe at the later real-world Protect and Survive campaign precursors when the Master suggests that sticky tape on Windows might help them survive a nuclear blast. When you have these very political bits in Doctor Who, it does make me wonder how much Doctor Who has influenced me, politically as well. Because when I think what my views are, and then <laughs> I see them echoed in the Doctor, I do wonder which came first. Or maybe the Doctor's just fairly... I don't know. Maybe he's just nice and humanitarian. Oh, sorry, Gallifreyan. And he just has views that a lot of reasonable people, sentient beings, have anyway. Whatever the case, it does seem as if most of the time the Doctor is a good influence. Although there is a line in the next story, Colony in Space, where the Doctor quite cavalierly says that maybe they should just destroy all the threatening animals on this planet. <laughs> Which is not really something that Eco Roy would agree with. Then there's the dodgy science. The science of dodgy science fiction. <laughs> the physics is dodgy. Even by my standards. Speed of light? Really? Really? In fact, the science is claptrap. For example, 
there's actually a speed of light button. I bet they don't have that in the Large Hadron Collider. But the dialogue between the boffin and the doctor is played straight. When the arrogant scientist gets his comeuppance, it feels, if not completely justified, as if he brought it upon himself. His transformation, tragic though it is, is insanely funny. I try to take Doctor Who seriously, although sometimes it's hard with old Who, as it adds to my enjoyment to imagine that everything's quite tense and dramatic. But even I choked with laughter. It's not often one sees a man transformed into another man under a dirty sheet, pretending to be a hairy, ambulatory sack of potatoes. Ridiculous. And while we're on the subject of ridiculous things... Let's talk about CIA man. You see, there's this guy. He's a CIA friend of Joe. He has a really terrible American accent. And then there's a scene where he is roiling in a hilariously badly acted fever dream. Absolutely. Nonsense. Just to check, I haven't got completely the wrong end of the stick. He, indeed, was not American, but Welsh. He's still around, so I won't name him. But blimey, that was a creaking performance. If I was to be less critical, I could say he played the part charismatically and was a likeable character, and any friend of Joe's is a friend of mine. Also, Britain was short of foreign actors back then, and besides, would you turn down the call when your agent says, hey, do you want a part in Doctor Who? Exactly, that's what I thought. Next, Tim Piggott-Smith. Tim Piggott-Smith, famous British actor. In this story, he debuts on Doctor Who as a ruthless martinet of an army officer. The sort of role he would become known for in later years. He was, for example, a right nasty explicit word deleted in The Jewel and the Crown. So there you have it, an early performance from Tim Piggott-Smith. We also had one a few stories ago from Paul Darrow. Very short-lived role. Same as Tim Piggott-Smith. They both get very dead. (laughs) But in both cases, it seems to form the template of their later character types. Interesting. The creature design. The creature design is 
I'm pretty sure, unintentionally hilarious. You have the shambling, roughly humanoid shapes, enforcers of Axos, which are just these legged and armed version of the potato sack men. <laughs> That's so silly. Even better, they've got these tentacles that they can fling at their victims and then they explode. Ah, uh, yeah, and of course, mutated potato sack man. We've talked about that enough now. And the eponymous claws of Axos. Really, really silly. Just look like these rubbery claws, quite long, very, very ineffectual, and wholly reliant on the actor victim to convince the audience that these claws are actually quite dangerous. I had to really struggle, and sometimes I failed during this story, to convince myself that there was a real peril. Yeah. And then there's the googly-eyed fish people, who I have no real problem with. They're okay. Even the lycra <laughs> swimsuits and the ping-pong ball eyes. Absolutely fine. See, I'm not complaining about everything. And Havoc. Yes, again, Havoc. H-A-V-O-C. Provides the stunts. Fairly robust and dangerous looking stunts as well. Again, it makes me wonder where Mr. Health and Safety with his clipboard is. Probably hiding somewhere. And that also answers the question of why the stunts have been so crazy in Series 8. We've talked about the Havoc stunt troupe before, but here's the short summary. Havoc was a team of stuntmen performers led by Derek Ware and included Roy Scammell, Derek Martin, Alan Chunce, Stanley Hollingsworth, Jack Cooper, Mark Boyle, Les Clark, Billy Horrigan, Roy Street, Roy, Peter Brace, and Denis Powell. They usually played unit soldiers in some of the bigger action scenes. Havoc worked in The Ambassadors of Death, Inferno, Terror of the Autons, The Mind of Evil, The Claws of Axos, and The Sea Devils. Think of them as a blokey pans people for punch-ups. And you know how I love alliteration. <laughs> pans people. Oh, I just had this horrific image of Havoc dressed up in dancey clothes on top of the pops, trying to do a routine, but just lumping each other. Now, at the end of this episode, I should mention that in the show notes I have put link 
thanks to my sources, which, as well as my brain, include the BBC, TARDISFANDOM.COM, Wikipedia, and IMDB. For now, I suppose that's it for Doctor Who, The Claws of Axos. Now that we're in the after-show section, I could tell you that I have streamlined the process of making these podcasts. I have an Audacity project now, which is bookended by the theme music. The idea is I just edit this section that I'm recording now and paste it into that project and then export it to MP3. And you'll also be glad to hear that some of the deafening volume in some of my effects have been reduced. Yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing now. I'm going to be editing this episode. And then tomorrow you'll be getting another episode where I talk about the next Doctor Who story, which is Colony in Space. Until then... This show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find me at RoyMartha.com. For further reading, there's a link in the show notes in the description of this episode. As I've already said, the notes are in plain text format for maximum compatibility. And if you want to help, please review the show on whatever platform you listen to it on and recommend it to a friend. You were listening to Crash, the Culture, Technology and Creative Show, episode 246, but this one was a special episode just about Doctor Who, recorded on Friday... 15th of March 2019 and ending on Saturday the 16th of March 2019 at 34 minutes and 13 seconds past midnight. Thanks for listening and bye bye for now. Bye.